Thanks for tuning in. I'm Steve Ray, author of How to Get U.S. Market Ready. And in this podcast, I'm going to share with you some of the lessons I've learned from 30 years in the wine and spirits business, helping brands enter and grow in the U.S. market. I've heard it said that experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. My goal with the book and this podcast is to share my experience and the lessons learned from it with you so you can apply those lessons and be successful in America. So let's get into it. This week, we're going to be talking about e-commerce and selling direct to the consumer. So let's get started. E-commerce is not just an alternative, but a primary strategy for new to the U.S. and smaller brands that are just getting started. E-commerce has been and will continue to be the single biggest unexploited opportunity for sales of wine and spirits in the U.S. for both domestic and imported brands. That's a hugely important statement for anyone selling wine and spirits in the United States and anyone contemplating that. And there are a number of reasons that contribute to that. Three of them in particular. One is the Amazon effect. Number two is enforcement of existing state and federal regulations by and on common carriers, such as FedEx, UPS. And third, people shop differently online than they do in brick and mortar stores. So let's start first by deconstructing the e-commerce landscape and defining terms. Well, let's start with the major term, and the major term is e-commerce, and that's really the overall category of sales of wine and spirits via digital channels to either consumers or the trade. Now, a lot of people use different definitions for e-commerce. Some include trade, some don't. The important point I'm trying to get here now is e-commerce is the umbrella term for all sales of wine and spirits through digital channels to either the consumer or the trade. So when we talk about DTT, direct-to-trade, sales of wine and or spirits via digital channels to distributors and on or off-premise accounts, retailers as we would call them, and there are really two primary providers of DTT these days. One is Beverage Media Group 750, which merged in this past year, and they've really taken the lead in the trade side of direct commerce. The second one is LibDib, which is a very creative alternative route-to-market strategy created by Cheryl Dursey. That's LibDib, L-I-B-D-I-B dot com. And I would urge you, if you're interested in this, to go to their website, LibDib.com, and check out some of the webinars. One of them is uh, one I did for them. Putting aside direct-to-trade, for now, let's really focus on direct-to-consumer. Again, I define that as sales of wine and or spirits directly to the consumer, from somebody. So it could be from a retailer, it could be from a separate company, it could be from a number of sources. And in case of domestic wines, it can be directly from the producer, the winery itself, direct to consumers. And yes, this is one of, if not the only, legal way to bypass the three-tier system. I get asked this question a lot. How can I bypass the three-tier system? And basically, the answer is for imported brands, you can't. In this one unique situation of selling direct from domestic wineries to consumers, it is legal. So it is sort of bypassing the three-tier system. I also think with the changes that are taking place as a result of COVID-19 and uh, the Craft Beverage Modernization Act, where they reduced 
taxes on wines and spirits two years ago, that we may soon see the ability for importers and or suppliers, export manufacturers, to sell directly to consumers. Not yet, but stay tuned. In any case, when we talk about direct-to-consumer by retailers, they fall into two distinct categories. One is intrastate, which is sales of wine and spirits from a seller to a buyer within the same state, intrastate. And then interstate, which is sales of wine and spirits from a seller to a buyer in different states. Well, I said there were three things that I wanted to talk about. One of them was the Amazon effect. Amazon's purchase of Whole Foods, which was a major organics-type grocery chain in 2017, triggered a seismic change in the market, the impact of which we're seeing today amplified by the impact of COVID-19. And here's why that's so important. Amazon is a seemingly unstoppable juggernaut, and in 2018 represented 49% of all online sales in the U.S., not wine and spirits, 49% of all online sales in the United States, half the market, one company. And that represented an equivalent of 5% of total retail sales. There's a huge amount of headspace opportunity. And while existing regulations in the U.S. have been a primary reason the industry hasn't realized that opportunity, I expected when I wrote the book, and we're actually seeing that these regulations are beginning to loosen rapidly now in response to consumer demand and economic realities, and really turbocharged with the impact of COVID-19. And that's especially important for export wine brands when you factor in that winery domestic DTC, so domestic winery selling direct to consumer, average retail price per bottle was $38.75 in 2017. I think it was up to $39 in 2019. And that's per data from ship compliant Soros. But compare that to Nielsen data for the average price per bottle at retail, traditional retail stores where grocery independent retail stores chains and so forth, of $10. So $38.75 online, $10 in traditional brick and mortar. And that's for a whole bunch of reasons that I won't go into, but the point is it shows the opportunity for fine wines online is so much greater than it is in traditional brick and mortar retail, where they're limited by the physical inventory that they can carry and display. So for smaller and new to the U.S. brands, I would say for smaller and higher priced and new to the U.S. brands in particular, e-commerce represents a very strategic option to concentrate on in America for entry strategy. So let's take a step back and look at how Amazon got here and what their strategy might be. Amazon actually had four iterations of attempts to enter the wine business over the last 15 years or so. And each one either failed or was aborted, or both. The most recent one was abandoned at the same time that they announced the purchase of Whole Foods. I believe Amazon's strategy is not focused on the wine or spirits business per se. Rather, they want to disrupt the way Americans shop for groceries, and more importantly, how they consume food at home. The rationale for that conclusion appears clear when you look at the size of the prize. The U.S. grocery business represents $641 billion per Statista. That was 2017 data. I'm sure it's bigger now. That's way bigger than the wine and spirits business projected at $125 billion. So $641 billion to $125 billion. Grocery dwarfs beverage alcohol. However, by owning the American food consumption experience, Amazon can add value to it. And that's the strategic direction they're going. 
So think beyond just grocery store revenues. That's what consumers pay for and think about as commodities. You go to the grocery store to buy bananas or apples, or even in the case of branded products, they're effectively commodities because they're available everywhere. But think about these products in the context of a meal and the fact that adding wine to the dining experience or spirits significantly enhances the value. What I think Amazon is working on is adding value to the dining experience by branding it, if you will, or decommoditization, if that's a word. So back to Amazon's history, though. It took Amazon 10 years and millions of dollars, which of course is peanuts to Jeff Bezos, to figure out that the key to the wine business isn't their superior logistics expertise or even the concept of virtual, distributed, or unlimited inventory or any of the other wonder things that the web has wrought. The conclusion, and it's a big ironic one, is that given the realities of the three-tier system on the beverage alcohol business in the United States, the right solution for Amazon turned out to be to own physical retail locations in regulated markets. And of course, they're all regulated markets. So here we have the guys that basically made e-commerce the dominant player that it is and the sea change that it created in the way Americans shop. And they had to buy a brick-and-mortar retail store chain in order to play in the beverage alcohol category. If that's not ironic, I don't know what is. But I think it's indicative for people who are listening to this and uh, are thinking about bringing brands to the U.S. market. It's indicative of how people who are not thoroughly familiar with how the business works are going to fail. In the case of Amazon, it was for, some people say, five different iterations before they got to this one. And I'm not saying that this one is right. It's just the current one. So when Amazon bought Whole Foods, they effectively snapped their fingers and changed the playing field for everyone. They now own, at the time, it was 460 retail stores in 44 states, serving 75 million living within five miles of a Whole Foods store. And that represents 34% of the entire U.S., the entire U.S. LDA population. LDA means legal drinking age, 21 or over here. And we can expect that penetration to grow rapidly. I wrote in 2018, and it certainly has. Granted, many of the 44 current Whole Foods states have existing regulatory challenges that Amazon will have to address. But that said, it was still a brilliant move to position themselves to rewrite the rules in ways and at a scale the industry had never conceived. Right up until COVID-19, and now everybody has to reinvent the way they're doing their business. The second major point impacting e-commerce is the enforcement of existing federal and state regulations. There are two primary common carriers serving DTC, a direct-to-consumer sales of wine and spirits, in the U.S., FedEx and UPS. Yes, we have DHL in the U.S., but it it's a relatively minor brand, and uh, the U.S. Postal Service does not handle beverage alcohol. So you really have two, FedEx and UPS. And in late 2016, UPS and FedEx started to more rigorously adhere to regulations limiting delivery of alcoholic beverages, basically following the law. Prior to that, many retailers around the country were routinely shipping to 20, 30, and even 40 states illegally, but because the regulations were rarely enforced, they were able to do it. But as that changed in 2016, and it happened just before the Christmas selling season, which was really devastating to a lot of e-commerce marketers then, but now they're being enforced. There are really only 14 states where interstate sales from retailers, as opposed to domestic wineries, interstate sales from retailers to out-of-state consumers is permitted. And keep in mind that intrastate e-commerce is still a huge business and hasn't been impacted as much as the interstate side. 
So that means retailers, some examples, Binnie's in Illinois only sells in Illinois, and they're one of the largest. I think they've got eight stores. ABC in Florida only sells e-commerce in Florida. They have 123 retail stores. So here's a huge retail player, but they're only operating in one state. In contrast to Whole Foods, which is in something like 30 plus states with about 300 stores, I think. So looking forward and taking into account COVID-19, I expect that economic market forces will either drive the industry or the government or both to expand e-commerce for wine and spirits. Boy, wasn't that a prescient thought back in 2018. It's come to the reality here in 2020. And the third point I was going to make is that people shop differently in e-commerce. I made the point earlier that when buying e-commerce wines, the average bottle sells for $38 versus $10 in a retail store. And that kind of fits with some of the things that we know about other retail e-commerce versus bricks and mortar. Nielsen and Wine.com data highlights a big difference in varietal purchases for DTC versus traditional retail too. And in the book, I have an updated chart, but basically where in DTC, the three big ones are Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Noir, and red blends and Chardonnay. And in brick and mortar, it's kind of almost flopped. Chardonnay, Cab Sauve, red blend, and then sparkling wines. I won't go into the detail of why I think those things are different. The important thing to note is they are, and that should have an impact on how new brands are approaching the U.S. market and what products they want to come in and lead with. Not only is the varietal preference different in the two channels, I believe the mindset is as well, too. Consumers recognize that there is a physical limitation on the number of, and as a result, the variety of SKUs that any given retail store can carry. And just the opposite is true for e-commerce. People get that you're going to have a lot more variety available on e-commerce than you would in a physical store. And when they read articles about a product, one of the first places they go to when they read about that is Wine Searcher, wine-searcher.com, to find out where they can buy it and how much it costs and which online wine and spirits sites are selling it. So in olden days, if you will, two, three years ago, somebody read something about a particular brand in Wine Enthusiast or Wine Spectator or one of the critics or a newspaper or wherever, a recommendation from a friend, more likely. They didn't expect to be able to go into a retail store and find it. And often what happened is you go into the store, the retailer will say, I don't have that brand, but I have something just as good. And here it is. He or she will sell out of the inventory that they have. So the dynamics of how consumers purchase is completely changed now. And of course, COVID-19 just changes everything even further. Here's the bottom line for anybody selling any beverage alcohol brand, wine, beer, or spirits in the United States. Online should be a primary strategy for selling your brands in the U.S. So if you're looking to the U.S. market and you're thinking of going the traditional route, I'd urge you to stop and give it a real long, hard think and figure out how can I do this leveraging the potential of e-commerce and give myself a better chance of success in the United States. This is Steve Ray saying thanks again for listening on behalf of the Italian Wine Podcast. Here are a couple of more sayings from my dear friend Rudy Ostheimer. 
I couldn't warm up to him if we were cremated together.